I want you to turn in your Bible to the Old Testament. Those of you that know me know that I love to be in the Old Testament. It's not because I'm an old lady. <laughs> it's because possibly I was introduced to the Bible and didn't know where to begin reading. I found Christ at college just before a semester break. Actually, I was in hospital and I was sick. So they sent me back to college and I couldn't go home to Liverpool from Cambridge because it was too far. And so everybody else emptied out of the college at semester break and I stayed put because I was still sick in this empty, gorgeous building, 17th century building. But you know, that's one thing to look at at the outside, but when you're pretty well alone in that building and you're 17 years of age, it was a little scary actually to be there in pretty well alone for about a week, but it was the best thing for me because I had just found the Lord. And it forced me into realizing that there was no one but God and me around and I'd better begin to climb those steps to the front door, as I put it, and wait till he came out and just talk to him and begin to hear him talk to me. I ended up my training and ended up as a teacher in the back end of Liverpool and in desperation of what to do in the classroom with gangs of leather-jacketed young thugs that wouldn't listen to me teach math or English or anything else, I took off one night, literally, from my beautiful home in the suburbs and didn't tell my parents where I was going, got on a bus, went down to Lime Street, Liverpool, where I taught and looked for my kids. I thought, if they don't like me, they're not going to listen to me and I can't get to know them as people, they can't get to know me in the classroom, and so I'm gonna be their friend, whether they want me to be or not. And I started looking for them, finding them in the Heaven and Hell Club and in the drug dives and incredible places in that, in that place in Liverpool. And I just began to hang around. I just began to be there. That's called a ministry of presence. You put yourself into the situation physically. And it took a while, they were suspicious, they didn't like me there. What are you here for? Are you here to spy on us? Are you here from the social services? What are you doing? And in the end, they began to look for me. And in the end, I was able to talk to them and a handful came to Christ and then the band leader came to the Lord that played in the, the club that I used to go to. And he said, do you want my platform while I'm having a break? Do you want to say anything to the kids? And I began to stumble through some elementary evangelism. I didn't know what that was. I'd never heard the word. I'd just come to Christ. But that's what I began to do. And the handful of kids came to Christ, and one guy who was a, a gang leader called Trevor, who couldn't read or write, like many of those 18-year-olds in that situation, came to me one day and said, Miss, will you teach me to read? And he had his gang around him. And I said, Trevor, that is the bravest, most wonderful, manly thing I've ever heard. You ask your teacher in the front of your peers, teach me to read. You're 18 years of age. And I commend you for that. Of course, I would be delighted to do that. But why do you want to read? He said, I want to read the Bible. I want to read the Bible. And so the very first Bible study I ever took was a group of Liverpool young people that had come to faith. You wouldn't know it by their looks or their behavior at that point, but they had truly come to faith. I didn't know what I was doing. 
I had never opened a Bible myself, but six weeks previously, I didn't know whether an apostle was the wife of an epistle. I hadn't <laughs> learned that yet. And we learned together. I said, you and I, kids, we're going to learn this together. I have no idea. Let's discover. Let's just discover. And I said to them, where do you want to start? Where should we start? I don't know where to start. And I thought, well, maybe at the beginning. Isn't that the place to start in a book? And so, of course, I made this ghastly mistake of starting in Genesis, getting buried in Leviticus. <laughs> and by the time we got through to probably one Kings, they could all read. And I began to use those reading lessons to teach, to cartoon, actually, the Bible, and then put words around it. And Trevor came back to me, and I said, now we're going to go. I think we need to go to the new bit, to the New Testament, and start there, because I think I made a mistake starting here. And he said, don't, don't do that. And I said, why not? He said, the Old Testament's like a big, dark house, miss, and I'm afraid to go inside. But you're switching the lights on. You're introducing me to the people that live there. Don't take us anywhere else. And so through Trevor's eagerness to learn to meet the people that lived in the big dark house. I began to meet them too and became so fascinated that probably that's why most of my books center around Old Testament and Old Testament characters. And so we're going to look at a little story and the reason I told that story, it's not in my notes, I had no intention of starting like this, was because this story I'm going to share with you was the story that turned that ex-gang leader, Trevor, into a servant of God. And it was the very simple discovery of the story together in that little group, all of us biblically illiterate, all of us digging for ourselves, looking for the treasure, learning what we could. It was because of meeting this young man I'm going to tell you about in the big dark house all of us in that little group, actually, were challenged beyond ourselves. I have no idea how the rest of the kids did. I do know that Trevor is still going on with the Lord. And so I'd turn you to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. Now, I'm observing that leadership in the West, learning leadership, is a lot about cutting edge. It's a lot about living on the edge. I'm seeing all these conferences with these snazzy titles. Everyone's trying to be on the cutting edge. The cutting edge of publishing, the cutting edge of mission, evangelism, children's ministries, media ministries, compassionate ministries, women's ministries. And that's good. Absolutely excellent. But it will not happen, effective ministry will not happen if we, the ones who are seeking to do it and to minister, have lost our cutting edge. And I want to talk about losing the cutting edge, losing the sharpness of your spirituality, which makes all effort in ministry a drudgery, a waste of time basically, and exhaust you. And I want to use as an analogy this little story that Trevor and this innocent young school teacher in the things of God learned together. 
So let's read this little story, chapter six of Two Kings. The company of the prophet said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let's go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole. Let's build a place there for us to live. And he said, go. And one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, said Elisha. And he went with them. And they went to the Jordan and they began to cut down the trees. And as one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh my Lord, he cried, it was borrowed. And the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. And Elisha cut a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. Well, this is the story of building, of rebuilding of building the kingdom of God, basically. When I was led to Christ, the girl that led me to the Lord, this nurse in hospital, gave me a Bible, and the only training I had in anything at that point was she said, take 20 verses or take a piece of scripture where there's a division, just read that piece, and ask the text questions. Who, where, why, what, when? And that's the only clue I had to begin to ask God questions, ask the text, the word of God questions, and get the answers. The only clue I had. And so I took that method to this little group of raw people, me included, and we put those questions over every page of scripture we read as we waded from Genesis all the way through the Bible. Eventually, it took a few years (laughs) to get to Revelation. And so we're going to do that together. What happens when you lose your spiritual cutting edge while building the kingdom? And why does this happen to the workmen of God? And how do you get it back? That's where I'm going. How is it once we can be sharp and then we're dull? So who, where, why, when, what? Let's look at the analogy. Let's be inquisitive. Let's be detectives. Let's hang our heart over the scripture. Let's put our mind to it. Let's allow ourselves to wonder, to dream around the text, to see who's standing around the corner of the verse, who's in the shadows, what are they dressed like, what's happening. Who lost it? I asked my little group. So we look, there's a man from this, and I remember I'm in the King James, there was no help for us with modern translations, and they just learned to read, read. So I'm struggling with the old King James text, and I can't even remember now what it said, but it wasn't easy. Uh, well, he's this man who was, what's a, prof, a prophet, what's a prophet, miss? And I said, well, I think a prophet uh, talked about the future. What do you mean, miss? Well, I said, we can all talk about the past, but God gives prophets ability to talk about the future. Hey, that's, that's neat, miss. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Can I be a prophet, you know? <laughs> they could see dollar signs. <laughs> so who were they? Well, it was a man of the company of the prophets, and then we ran around the scriptures using our little references, little flags pointing us to another place to find out what's a prophet and what's this company of prophets. And of course, eventually, with a little bit of help, 
and I went and found help in other books. We came up with it. They were committed young people, some married, some not. They gathered together under a prophet or a teacher, eager to learn from them, to lead them, etc., etc. And we discovered there was a whole little group of them, like in a sort of Bible school, little seminary, in the time of Elijah. And you remember that they were being chased by this Jezebel, whoever she was, and that took another two days to figure out and look for who's this woman Jezebel. And, oh, she married the king of Israel, and he was an old compromiser to marry this woman and let her do her thing in Israel. So we figured all that out. We were all chasing around the Bible and looking for the answers. The Bible is its own best interpreter. Of course we need a library of helps. But you don't really need it if it isn't there. You can use the Bible, and it tells you an awful lot of information. So who lost it? A man of the company of the prophets. In Elijah's day, they were in hiding, haunted, chased, killed by Jezebel. Now she was gone. And Elisha, Elijah's man, his successor, we found out as we looked around the Bible, he began to reestablish these Bible schools just like they had been before they'd been chased into hiding. So who lost it? A man of the company, the prophets. When did he lose it? Well, we look in the text. Well, they went to the Jordan. They began to cut down trees. And as one of them was cutting down a tree, says one of the kids, that's right, right in the middle of this building event, he lost it. He lost his cutting edge, his axe head, right? Literally. So right in the middle of an exciting project, when he was full of enthusiasm, with nothing wrong in his life, everything was right, he committed his life to God, he was going to be trained, he was going to be God's man for his generation. And in the middle of all this wild enthusiasm, the axe head falls off the axe. So who lost it? The man from the company of the prophets. When did he lose it? At the Jordan, right in the middle of this project, this building project. Where did he lose it? They look in the text. Well, the axe head says one fell into the water. He lost it in the water. Which water, I asked. We looked. By the Jordan. Oh, that must be the Jordan River. I have heard about that, said one. That Jordan River is deep and wide. And he started singing that, you know. <laughs> Why did he lose it? It doesn't say, right? It doesn't say. So I said, well, let's guess. Why do you think he lost it? And one of them said, well, maybe it was just untrained. He didn't know how to swing the axe, huh, miss? Yeah, that could be it. Maybe he was just too full of enthusiasm. Maybe he just used up all his energy. Yeah, could be. We don't know. But right in the middle, when everything was all right, he lost his effectiveness. So what did he lose? The axe head. The borrowed axe head. And a little bit of extra information. The axe head was like a top computer in that company. It was a piece of equipment that was probably the most valuable piece of equipment among 200 profits, or 300 profits, or 50, or however many there were. An axe head, that instrument, in that day and age, was incredibly valuable. And it wasn't even his. So what did he lose? A very, very precious thing. Now, some of the older translations say this. He came to Elisha and he said, I've searched for it in vain. I've nothing wherewith to repay it. So 
he tried, whether he got in the water, maybe he couldn't swim. The River Jordan by Jericho, which people believe this was near Jericho, is very deep and in that time very wide and incredibly deep for a river. So this thing flew off into an unreachable place, but he tried. He tried to find it and he couldn't. Now, let's begin to look at the analogy, the lost axe head. First of all, he had it. He had it. Wanted to play his part. They were a poor community. They couldn't afford people to come and help them build their new Bible school and the buildings there. Each man was assigned a piece. Did you notice that? Each man said, that's your tree. You cut that pole down and bring it and we're going to make like a log house. That's what they made out of a fashion. And so each man wasn't given the whole forest. Each man was given a tree. And this was his little patch, maybe two or three trees, whatever, we don't know. And they were assigned. The work was divided up and they were assigned. And just as he was really feeling, he was pulling his weight, he began to find that he was really only hurting the trees. You lose your effectiveness. You lose your cutting edge spiritually and you'll only hurt the trees. You'll hurt people. It's an incredible thing and I have experienced this in my own life and ministry. Nothing really is happening and it was a month ago, it was a year ago, it was yesterday and suddenly I've lost something, I've lost it. I'm just not cutting it. I'm too dull to deliver it. So he had it, he lost it, he searched for it, he confessed it, he found it, and he used it again. So let me apply this. Maybe you're in the company of the redeemed working to build the kingdom. And at the moment, listening to me, you say, I got it. Things are just great. I feel I'm in touch with God. I feel I'm hearing his voice. My little group is growing. My Bible study, my young moms, my mops, whatever it is that I'm in charge of, my committee, my practical work, my spiritual work, whatever it is. Yeah, Jill, um, yeah. It seems to be okay. I feel I'm on the cutting edge, you know, and, and God is using my life. Well, wait a bit. Keep these notes because you're going to come back to them. If you're going to have a long ministry, let me tell you something, keep these notes. Because there will be times in your life you will have this experience. But maybe you're here and you say, you know, I lost it. I don't know what's wrong. My prayer life isn't going anywhere. I haven't seen any prayers answered. I've prayed and I've worked and I've made absolutely no inroads in this or that, and I'm muddled and confused. And, and I wasn't last year. I wasn't, everything was going wonderfully well. So I don't know where you are in the outline, but maybe by the end of my talk you'll find out. You say, I've got it. Life's good. But maybe you've lost it, and you're only hurting the trees. You're absolutely getting nowhere. You're exhausting yourself. You're exhausting yourself. You're doing the same things, swinging at the trees, swinging at the situation, and nothing's coming down. Absolutely nothing's coming down. Now, I'm really talking about losing the sharpness of life in the spirit. You cannot lose the spirit. But you can grieve the spirit and lose your cutting edge. 
You can resist the spirit and hurt the trees. You can get out of step with the spirit. You can't lose the spirit. And that's where all analogies fall down. You cannot lose the axe head. But you can lose the effectiveness of your Christian life. I remember one of the young people years ago asking me in my youth group, can you ever fall out of God, miss? And I said, as far as I understand the Bible, no. And he said then, what happens when some of our friends come to Jesus and then they begin to live as if they never had? Have they lost God? Has he walked out of their life as surely as he walked in it? And I remember holding my hand out and putting a penny in it in those days, an English penny, UK penny, and making it stand up in my hand. And I said, the Bible says that no man shall pluck us out of our Father's hand. And then I pushed the penny and it fell over. And I said, you can fall over, but you can't fall out. You can't fall out, but you can fall over. You can lose it in some sense in your spiritual walk. So hear me carefully. I am not saying you can lose the spirit. I know some people believe you can. I happen not to believe that. But you can grieve him, resist him, quench him, be out of step with him, etc. And I wonder if that's what's been happening in your life. I have lost the axe head many, many times. I can lose it twice in a week, three times in a week. And what I have learned, or I'm still learning to do, is to be cognizant of that when it happens. To be aware of it. Well, I'm sure he was aware of it. It wasn't too hard. He'd lost the axe head and two more bashes at the tree. He'd obviously lost something. And I've come to believe that it's as obvious to us as it was to this young man. We just perhaps don't want to think about it or do anything about it. And so we just carry on carrying on. Years ago when I was in mission and I was in a rather difficult situation with my husband on the road all the time and being responsible for a nursery school, a couple hundred kids, a youth work, street work, three kids under six or whatever, just very, very busy. And then all the work with the mission, which was mostly physical work, I began to get resentful of what was happening, of my position. I, resent, I began to resent the mission, the leadership of the mission. I began to resent the church. I began to resent, I never resented God, funnily enough, but I did resent everybody up to him. <laughs> everybody. And the problem was I had learned to carry on, to look the part of this little missionary doing this youth work. And, and I did carry on. And inside, I knew I'd lost the edge because I was resisting the will of God that I knew very well was the will of God for me in that period of my life. I began to resent it. I began to get angry and bitter, etc. And I thought, well, nobody knows because I know now how to be a missionary. I know how to go and run the youth group. I know I'll turn up tomorrow for school and look after the nursery school. And I'll do the street work and I'll take the students out and I'll give them their little talk of how to reach the unreached. And 
I can do all that. And I did. And I did it with that nice, big, evangelical smile on my face. The kids at this point began to ask me questions, my children. Where's daddy going? Well, he's going to America, Africa, whatever. And I'd put that big smile on my face and say, isn't it wonderful that God wants to use daddy? And I remember Peter saying, no, it isn't wonderful, mommy. Why can't he use someone else's daddy? Why does our daddy have to be the one that leaves all the time? And I gave the correct answer. And I tucked him up in bed and we prayed and I went to my bedroom, put my head on the pillow, under the pillow, and sobbed myself to sleep. But I got up the next day and I carried on. And I continued hitting the trees with a handle. And one day, Major Thomas, Ian Thomas, the head of our mission, was preaching to the Sunday service we had in the castle, which was the center. And I, I noticed something now that I did then. <laughs> now I'm a pastor's wife. I removed myself from the front of the room and began to sit at the back of the room. I didn't want to be too near the preacher. I didn't want to be under his nose. Up to then, I'd always wanted to sit at the front, believing all the blessings were in the front seats. <laughs> and I could concentrate more, and you know, I wasn't distracted. There was no problem with that. I'd rush to get that place. But suddenly, I found myself slipping in the back. Of course, I had to go. Of course, I was a missionary. I was a leader. I was in charge of this, that, and the other. So I would come at Cape and Ray into the beautiful hall in that castle, and I would tuck myself at the back. And I remember one terrible day and wonderful day when Major Thomas was preaching, and he suddenly applied, I hadn't really been listening too hard, I didn't dare listen too hard to anything, but I was keeping my mind busy with other things. And suddenly he caught my attention, he got me, and he said, some of you here have become totally ineffective. And everybody knows it. And he got me. And I sat up and I said, no, they don't. <laughs> Nobody knows it. Nobody knows what's gone on in my heart that I have lost my cutting edge. Nobody knows it. I know how to do the thing. I know how to act it. But he got my attention. And he said, I'll tell you why everybody knows. Nobody is receiving anything from you of importance. And I sat there and I said, oh God. And I began to think, when was the last time I'd led one of those street kids to Christ? When was the last time my heart would leap with joy as I set off at 11 o'clock at night for a night on the streets looking for the one prodigal God had in mind for me to bring home to him. When was the last time I found any joy at all in any of it? And I couldn't remember. And I realized for a long time, nobody had received anything. I had lost my cutting edge. And I guess resisting the spirits, direction, and leadership. The job hasn't turned out as you thought. You accepted this responsibility and around the corner of that decision. Oh, this, this wasn't what I expected. This isn't, this isn't what I want to do. This isn't this, this isn't that. And the disappointment sets in. But like a kid that won't sit in church, you're sitting down on the outside, but you're standing up on the inside. 
horrible feeling that actually you look great ahead of this and you're the Bible study and you're the mentor for this and you, you know you collect clothes for the old people and all of this <laughs> and you look the part I believe walking in the spirit in the fullness of the spirit which is what I'm talking about which is the only effective way to go in ministry I believe it's a spiritual art and all art must be learned and practiced all art must be learned and practiced. I have learned another lesson about losing your spiritual edge. If you have the privilege of exercising the gift God has given you, and you always have that stab of joy when you're doing that, yes, this is what I'm made for, you know, and you have a church that has found a place for you to do that, and you do it, and you learn to do it, and you do it well, I want to ask you a question. Are you relying on the flesh or the spirit? Well, you say, Jill, how will I know? I think it's extremely hard to know. And I have done it myself. I've heard other people say things like, well, pray for me, I'm really relying on God. And then they get up and they do what they've done a 100,000 times, do it incredibly well. And I understand that dilemma. How do you know you're relying on the Spirit when you have learned to do it well? So I have built into my life and ministry a very simple answer to that. I deliberately take on something I know I am not gifted for every year. I learn a skill, like typing. I couldn't type till eight years ago. So I've written all those books longhand. And I can hear my daughter's voice right now. Don't be proud of it, mother, learn. Yes, shh. I can manage. I'm too old to learn not only the skill of a computer, but the skill of, you know. So I'll do it the old-fashioned way. Well, there came a point when I messed up a contract big time and overdid and got lost and I was faxing to my poor secretary who has the gift of tongues in writing and all that. <laughs> and she was trying to decipher my scribble and put it on, you know, a disc and hit me in Tajikistan if there was a fax machine. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And I got in a total muddle and overdated my contract. I went over the date to finish. And I decided at that point that I would learn to type. So I remember going around to our son's house and announcing to our grandchildren, Nana is going to learn to type. There was total silence. <laughs> the children turned around and gazed at me. You don't type, Nana? <laughs> no, I don't type. Don't know how to type, Nana? You don't? Compute? No, 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 no. I've got to learn to type first. Four-year-old. I'll help you. <laughs> Took me by the hand. 
stand there. I stood here. He sat down. He booted up. <laughs> he picked up the mouse. He turned around. Nana, this is a mouse. Humility. My seven-year-old granddaughter came in, handed me a piece of paper, said, this is my typing lessons, Nana. I've finished with it. You can have it She said, Nana, look at me. These are your pointies. These are your pinkies. You put them on here, you see. They taught me to type. Wonderful. It was an incredibly difficult challenge for me. It was something I am not gifted for, in no way. I'm right brain or left brain, whichever the part of your brain is that doesn't know anything about money or typing. <laughs> I'm the other part. This part's dead. But it was so good for me. Because while I was doing those things that I have honed and used, and I'm not quite sure if I'm relying on the spirit anymore because I've learned how to do them, I had a skill I was learning that kept me dependent. If you're not on risk's edge somewhere, you won't learn dependence, you see. Very practical idea. I would commend it to you. I was struck by this as a speaker when I heard a very famous man say, who was, he's gone to heaven now, but he was a world-renowned teacher of preachers. It is possible, and this is even hard to read, he's a real wordsmith, it is possible to be homiletically brilliant, verbally fluent, theologically profound, biblically accurate, and orthodox, and spiritually useless. That frightens me, he said, and I hope it frightens you. It's very easy for us to be so concerned about homiletical ability and fluency, theological profundity, and biblical accuracy, but for God to say, preach on, great preacher, without me. That frightens me, and I hope it frightens you. And he was talking about this very same thing. So, yes, yes, yes. Find your gift. Use your gift. Train your gift. Hone your gift. That you must do. But somewhere in your life, put yourself at risk's edge so you have to depend on God. And I assure you, it took the fullness of the Spirit to help me to type and to learn the computer. As much as it takes the fullness of the Spirit for me to do the thing I love to do most, which is to teach and to preach. So thank you, Eric Alexander, for that word. So there's danger in only doing what you're gifted to do because there comes a point where you become good at it. And that must be. But don't say things that 
have a ring of insincerity about them when you say, I have to really depend on God, because it's very hard to know. So you have to put yourself somewhere in the presence of God where you're reaching, where you're stretching, where you're pushing out the sides of your soul, where you're going somewhere you never dreamed you could go, in order that you may be driven to depend on God's help and God's spirit to do what you could never do. And that's sort of a grand adventure. It really is, like getting out of the boat. I, I see the church in the west sitting in the boat. I see the church in the east getting out of the boat like Peter did. And I see Jesus, his eyes aflame. Yes, Peter, come on! And of course, when Peter sank, Jesus' disappointment, where's your faith? What happened, Peter? I wonder what he said to those who never got out of the boat. <laughs> when you get out of the boat, you have to depend. That's what Peter found. So be on risk's edge somewhere. And this fullness, this sharpness, this fullness of the Spirit is the sharpness of the Spirit. It means that God takes you beyond yourself. It means that God takes your words and rides on them into someone's mind and heart on an airplane or in a supermarket or in your little group that you're teaching. It means where you become helpless because only the Spirit of God can bring life and regenerate somebody. He takes over and you see that happen. Now, it doesn't mean you're always successful. What happens when you do not see even when you are sharp and in touch with the Spirit when you don't see the trees fall. But basically speaking, your success is known between you and God. You know it. Eric Liddell, God gave him athletic ability. He was doing what God helped him to do. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Yeah, and when you're doing what God gifted you to do, you feel his pleasure. And it's feeling that pleasure. However, many of us running in that race with some athletic ability never win the Olympics. And many of us fail. Many of us, even to fail, we, we go flat out and exhaust ourselves and end up on the track. Does that mean we fail? No, not necessarily. We can fail humanly in the power of the Spirit because other elements are coming in here. So I'm not talking about every time you witness, you'll see people saved. And I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm talking about knowing internally that whether the tree falls or not, you're doing what pleases God because he said, cut down the tree. And whether other people look and say, what a failure, look, his tree's still standing. Everybody else has cut down their tree and that guy lost his accent. <laughs> his tree's still standing, he's a failure. No, it's not a failure because it might be for other reasons the tree doesn't fall. But he will know he is a success if he is doing what God told him. Put your ax to that tree. If it doesn't fall, that's my business, not yours. You do what I say. And that's when you're sharp. It's what you get brownie points for in heaven. Doing the will of God, whatever the results. Whatever the results. So, in the fullness of the Spirit, we are able to fail, actually, and survive. In the fullness of the Spirit, most times, eternal work will be done. We might not see it. Somebody else might reap the benefits down the road.
There's all sorts of things we could develop, but I need to move on. I do want to just say something here. The practical gifts are spiritual gifts. And I want to say that with a very loud voice because we're involved in helping women to find their place through women's ministries and in women's ministries and in the church. There is something arisen that I don't know where it came from, that there are spiritual gifts and there are practical gifts. And the spiritual gifts, which are speaking, teaching, singing, upfront stuff, are spiritual, you know, word stuff. And the practical gift, the helps and the administration and the tidying up the pews and, you know, taking people to hospital are the practical gifts and they're the lesser gifts. I would just refer you to Exodus 35 when you have time, not now. Verse 34 of that chapter says, God has filled him with his spirit. This man is filled with the spirit of God and he has gifted this man with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of craft. Artistic design, working gold, silver, bronze, cutting and setting stones, working in wood, engaging in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And he's given him, both him and Elabab, the ability to teach others these crafts, right? And God said, he can't do my work, this work, unless he's filled with the Spirit. And I have filled him with the Spirit to do practical spiritual gifting things. I remember teaching on spiritual gifts years ago in our women's ministry and there was a young woman sitting on the bench and she got more and more depressed the more I went on. I thought, what am I saying to upset this poor young mom? And she, her body language, she was crunching down into this fetal position on the pew, you know. <laughs> Oh, good heavens. And the more I spoke, the more desperate this poor young mom became. So afterwards, I got down. She tried to sneak out, and I caught her, you know, and I sat her down, and I said, you have to tell me, what did I say that discouraged you so much? And she said, well, you talked about spiritual gifts, and, and I don't have any of those, those gifts, and I'm not gifted. I said, every Christian is gifted. That's what the Bible says. Yet, yet you see, I, I don't have any gifts, and I, and I can't sing in the choir, and I can't, I can't do this. And I said, what can you do? She said, nothing, nothing, I don't have any gifts. <laughs> I said, no, what did you get an A for? What did you get a B for? <laughs> what did you get a C plus for? In school, you know, we had to sort of go down the line a bit. And, and I said, what was your best mark, desperately? And, <laughs> and, and, and she put her head down and went back into her fetal position and said, craft. I said, what? I said, look at me, <laughs> tell me, crafts, 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 <laughs> I said, I'm so jealous. Jesus did crafts, you know, worked with wood. He chose to be a craftsman. 33 years he did that. I don't do crafts, I said. I just do words, you know, it's easy. Crafts, you do crafts? And I watched this young woman grow, come out of her fetal position and sit properly on the pew, <laughs> taller. I said, that's a spiritual gift. And I took her to this passage and we walked through it. Fabulous passage. 
And that young woman took off in the early part of our ministry because her craft was quilt making. And she began to invite non-believing neighbors into her home around her quilting board. And she began to invite her Christian friends to come and learn as well and put them among her non-Christian neighbors. And they came to Christ. Came to Christ. So all gifts are spiritual. But even that lady can lose her cutting edge because it's your walk with the Lord that turns this whole thing to his account and makes the difference. So, what do we do? You have it? Or have you lost it? Well, I'm going to ask you the question Elisha asked. Where'd you lose it? If you're going to get your effectiveness back, if you're going to be a woman the devil fears, you're going to have to see where you lost it and tell somebody. And oh, I pray you have an Elisha in your life. I pray you can be an Elisha for other people who comes alongside and says, where'd you lose it? I'll help you. Come on, let's think about this. Let's pray about this. Tell me about it. Where'd you lose it? And he showed him the place. Okay? He showed him the place. You acknowledge it and you take the person. It was easy for me once I realized where I lost it, resentment to the mission. I had to go back and I had to say to my senior missionary one terrible, terrible day when I was humbled in every way, I lost it and that's where. When I became angry at you and angry at God, eventually, and angry at my husband, and angry at the world, that's where I lost it. Well, you have to go back to where you lost it. Then what you do? God will bring it back within reach. God will bring it back within reach. You apply the wood. He took a stick and he threw it in that place. You apply, if you wish, the picture, the blood of Christ to that resentment, that sin, that anger. And the blood of Christ goes on cleansing you from all sin. Can God restore us? Can God renew us? Can God give us back our effectiveness for him? Yeah. Do you have to apply the wood? You have to show your heavenly Elisha or let an earthly Elisha help you and ask you where did you lose it? And then you have to put out your hand and lift it out. The man reached out his hand and he took it. He appropriated that sharpness, that powerfulness, usefulness, impact back into his life. And God restored his cutting edge. So maybe you've lost it. Where'd you lose it? Would you apply the word? Let God, by the life given, his blood, life is in the blood, by his life given, address your dullness, your 
coldness, dryness, burned outness, whatever. I don't know where you lost it. Let him address it. Would you admit it? Would you submit your life back to him? And then would you continue the work? Appropriate the power and build the kingdom of God to his glory. Pray with me, will you? Now, Lord, we have been talking using an analogy from a story, a real-life story in your book, your golden book. Takes me back to Trevor and Kenny and Sam and all those kids sitting around me, all of us learning together your incredible word. And I think about that young man. And I think about the principles we learned together, that he has been enabled to continue and apply to his life, his effective life for you. And publicly, I would like to say, Lord, I am so sorry for all the times I have pretended that I haven't lost my edge when all the time everybody knows. For no one is receiving anything from me. Forgive me. And Lord, I really do know where I, where I lose it or where I've lost it. And I ask you on behalf of my sisters in this quiet moment that they would apply the blood. Hear their confessions, dear Lord. This is where I lost it, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Go there, go on, go there, go to the place you lost it in your mind. Now apply the blood. Receive his forgiveness. Put out your hand. Appropriate his power. Our Lord Jesus, we hear the seraph sing. And we add our voices. We praise you. Amen.